You are listening to the Wesley Seminary Podcast out of Wesley Seminary at Iwu. Your host today is Dr. Aaron Perry, Assistant Professor of Pastoral Care. Empathy and preaching. Some people might wonder what the connection is, and I'll confess that I kind of did myself. Maybe I had an idea about how they went together, but I was interested to see how they would be strategically and systematically put together. So it was a number of rich conversations that I was able to have with our guest today, and I wanted to share those conversations with you, especially of in light of his recent publication, which is called Preaching with Empathy, Crafting Sermons in a Callous Culture. Now, you've already got a sense that this is a homiletician that I'm talking to, not least because I've talked about preaching, but also because of that very clever alliteration in the title, Crafting Sermons in a Callous Culture. Joining us today is a preaching professor at Wesley Seminary and my very good friend, Dr. Lenny Lucchetti. Welcome, Lenny. Great to be here. Thanks, Aaron. Now, I would say this. If you were... If you were just Lenny Lucchetti, who I had never met before and was preaching professor at some other seminary, uh, I would have loved to have had you on as well. But this is a double treat because I've been able to, to have some of these sidebar conversations with you about what this book is about and, and how it's emerged from some of your own, not just uh, literature research and not just uh, theoretical research, but emerged from your pastor's heart as well in the ways that, that you did shepherd at churches and the ways that you shepherd your students. I would love for our listeners, if they don't know you, just to get to know you a little bit more. Do you mind sharing just a little bit of your story so that they can uh, begin this empathic process with you? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, Well, I spent 15 years pastoring before I came here to be a pastor to pastors as a professor at Wesley Seminary. And um, I'm convinced that although I teach preaching in a classroom, I think the best teacher of preaching is actually the congregation. Hmm. So... uh, if I know anything about preaching today, it's because of the congregations I've served, because at the end of the day, uh, it's the congregation we preach to that determines what makes good preaching good. And it's knowing our sheep well that enables us to speak empathically into their lives. So, uh, you know, really the book grew out of uh, sort of two situations for me. I was most recently pastoring a church that that had a nice, nice growth spurt tripled in size in, in a couple of years. And uh, what happened was, I think in part, the church grew not only because of the preaching, but I think I think the connection people felt to the preaching was one of the reasons why people came. And people would say things like, you know, uh, I sent you, you know, you come across as one among us, not one above us. Uh, when you preach, I feel like you know me, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And as our church grew, I made the mistake of actually pulling back from spending time with the congregation. I, I closed my office door, said I had an open door policy, but I closed my office door, locked myself away in a study for 20 hours or so trying to craft uh, a talk. And I remember during that season, because I was trying to get more done in less time, I was standing up to preach and feeling a disconnect from my people. I felt like a substitute teacher because I really mm-hmm. wasn't spending time with them. Mm-hmm. And they might have not have noticed. I mean, I think, I think the preaching was still uh, exegetically sound. I think it was biblical. I think there was still some eloquence in it in terms of rhetorical form and delivery was decent. But, but even though it had exegesis and maybe some eloquence, it didn't have empathy because I wasn't, I wasn't spending time with the sheep. 
And so my words weren't as sheep scented as they once were. And uh, so the book grew out of that sort of experience for me that, man, there's something else in preaching that is necessary for preaching to have impact. And that's an empathic connection between the preacher and the people. And, and not, another reason why I wrote the book is because there's really nothing written about it in preaching. I mean, I've, I've scoured journals. I've scoured for books. Uh, there is there, there might be uh, a paragraph on empathy in a preaching book. Uh, and those are even far and few between. But in this case, um, there really was nothing written about the importance of empathy to the preaching event. So two, two reasons why I wrote the book. So one of the things that I know you found because you shared with it uh, in, in the book, uh, Preaching with Empathy, Crafting Sermons in a Callous Culture, published by Abingdon, uh, is that there's like numerous definitions for empathy, right? Um, one of the one of the the descriptions that you gave of empathy was this. You said empathy gives preachers the capacity, the grace really, to slip their feet into the shoes of their congregants so that they think and feel what their people think and feel. I, I think that kind of gets at what I intuitively sense is empathy, but I don't want to. I don't want to assume that that's that that's what everybody thinks about empathy. And I don't want to assume that that's what all the literature says. So if we were to kind of start this back at the beginning, let me just ask you this. What is empathy? Well, finding a finding a, an agreed upon definition is hard. Uh, <laughs> if you read philosophy or psychology or sociology or even theology, it's hard to find a, an agreed upon definition. I say it's, it's, as, it's as hard as locating Bigfoot, you know, or a unicorn or a unicorn riding Bigfoot or whatever, <laughs> or Bigfoot riding a unicorn. So, um, uh, for preaching specifically, it's the it's the capacity to feel what another feels and think what another thinks so that we're moved to act on their behalf through the words of the sermon. So so the way this sort of spills over into preaching is um, uh, articulating with my words, not just prophetically the will and the way of God so that, you know, we know him better. But preaching is not just prophetic, it's also priestly, that my mm. words should not just prophetically communicate the will and the way of God, but as a priest, communicate the hopes and the hurts of my people. Um, and then, you know, uh, bringing those two things together in the sermon, the will and the way of God with the hopes and hurts of my particular people. And that's where empathy comes in. And uh, you know, most of us stand up in congregations to preach where we are we have a lot of difference between us and the people to whom we preach. Even if everything else look, you know, even if we're all white or all from a Wesleyan or Methodist or Presbyterian background, uh, chances are we're preaching to people who are different from us generationally, educationally, yeah. um, uh, economically. And so how do you bridge the gap of distance between you and the people to whom you preach so that you connect with a wider swath of people through the sermon? Well, empathy. Empathy makes the homiletical world go round. You cannot, I mean, again, you can have sound exegesis and rhetorical eloquence, but if you don't have empathy, you cannot put the gospel in a container that a variety of people can drink from. Yeah, one of the things that I'm, I'm consistently shown in our in our 21st century Western world, um, it's often shown to me, it's, it's preached, I'll use that word, is that if we know one thing about a person, we don't know everything about a person. And what empathy, I think, gives us the ability to do is to, even when we aren't another person and maybe radically different, a lot of things that are true about them are not true about us. 
empathy gives us an ability to get into their shoes like you write. And one of the things that you did in the book was you started to do some of this research, uh, ground that research in empathy, how we have the ability to be empathic neurologically. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? How does how are humans wired to be empathic? Yeah, well, my theological tradition leads me to trace human roots back past Genesis 3, the fall, to the image of God with which we're created in Genesis 1 and 2. So uh, I sort of, in the book, develop a theology of empathy. That is, God is empathic. God has always existed in this empathic relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, reciprocal empathy I talk about. And to be to be made in the image of God, among other things, means that we also are created, wired for empathy with God and empathy with people. Um, and of course, with the fall, our wires got sort of crossed up and we became less empathic. But uh, the beauty is that we can be rewired back back to our original image of God uh, with empathy. There's been a lot of studies in neuro neurology lately that uh, talk about brain plasticity. It used to be uh, believed in science that, uh, you know, once we get in through adolescence in the early adulthood, our brain is fixed. Uh, but now studies are showing that our brain is actually plastic long into adulthood. That is, we can be rewired, restored to what we are at creation, uh, empathic like God. Um, there's also studies about mirror neurons in the brain. So, so we have this we have uh, we have this morality that's rooted in our biology. That is, mirror neurons in the brain give us the capacity to when we're looking at someone else, uh, feeling what they feel or thinking what they think in the moment they're thinking or feeling it. So, for example, we're watching a, a football game on TV and a 300 pound linebacker <laughs> hits a quarterback from the blind side. And we, you know, we wince in pain as if it were our pain. Well, that's that's mirror nor neurons firing. And so, uh, you know, neuroscience is now confirming our theological convictions that we are made in the image of an empathic God and that we uh, can be restored back to our original wiring. Hmm. So you've, you've touched on this a little bit, so I, I just want to kind of highlight what I've heard you say, see if you agree with it, and then go into a question. So one of the things I heard you say is that when when pastors cease to be intentionally empathic that that their connection just that the existential connection with their church can go down and when we're specifically talking about preaching that the congregation's connection with preaching can can dissipate and, and can be and can wane am, am i right on that yeah so one of the challenges for me probably for you probably for any pastor who's listening in is we get into these seasons, you use the phrase trying to do more with less time. And we get into these seasons where we're just going, 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 there's no margin. Right. And as a result, there's no soft barriers for people to kind of crash into. It's just, it's just always hard edges, right? Cause we have left like from the inside, we've left no room. And so we've, we've maxed out our capacity. And so when people connect with us, con you know, come into contact with us, it's just, it's a hard edge. There's no, there's no room for empathy, so to speak. Um, how can, Let's say a preacher is, is just saying, I'm, I'm done with empathy, right? Maybe, maybe not intentionally, but they just they look at their lives and say, I've got no room for it. It doesn't happen. Uh, how, can, how can preachers reclaim that, that empathic uh, intention? How can they grow in empathy? Yeah, I well, I, let me talk maybe for a minute about what, what uh, diminishes empathy. 
and leads us maybe to apathy in preaching. And that I, I, there's a lot of reasons for it. One is just sort of the diminished appreciation for preaching in in, mm. in the church, outside the church. Obviously, uh, there are a lot of critics out there. There's there's also in the postmodern context this epistemological skepticism that you know we who dare stand up and claim to know anything with mm. certainty. And so there's all that going on. But I think ultimately, uh, two things really are are uh, responsible for a lack of homiletic empathy, uh, empathy among preachers. Uh, one is, I think it's preachers have a lack of self-empathy. Hmm. I think, uh, especially in a holiness tradition, you know, like the Wesleyan church of which I'm a part, uh, preachers have this high bar for holiness that we never hit. Um, uh, we also have a high ministerial bar that we never hit. So we're always comparing ourselves to these prominent preachers, you know, across the country and uh, the church down the corner, you know, on the corner is, is a lot bigger than ours. The preacher's better. So, we're, so I, I think we have a lot of, uh, a lot of shame and I think we just need to give ourselves a break. I guess, you know, Brene Brown in her book, Daring Greatly talks about how shame uh, actually prevents the vulnerability necessary for empathy toward others. So we're so stuck in our shame and so lacking in self empathy that we're not able to extend empathy to other people. So that's, those are some of the reasons why maybe we're, we're uh, less empathic and more apathetic, but how can we reclaim that? Uh, you know, the simple answer is just spending time with people, <laughs> not like us. Um, so I talk, you know, uh, the later chapters in the book, I spend a lot of time talking about actual practices for becoming a more empathic person. And then uh, in the last chapter, becoming a more empathic preacher. Because you can't really preach with empathy <laughs> unless you be unless you are empathic. So uh, one of the exercises I talk about practices is to um, call it incarnational immersion, where we just get out of our office, out of our study, and go spend time in places where there are people not like you. So so go to McDonald's at 9 a.m. and watch how senior citizens interact with each other. Uh, uh, go sit in a bar. And 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 watch people at noon, and watch people at midday drown their sorrows in alcohol. You know, go to a nursing home at, in the evening and or late afternoon, and you know, smell the smells, see the sights, hear the mm -hmm. sounds, mm -hmm. and just 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 begin to uh, go out there where people are, go onto their turf like God through Christ did for us, and begin to uh, resonate with what it's like to be them. And it'll impact our preaching. I think about what John Howard Yoder, uh, John Howard Griffin did in the 1950s. He, he, uh, he, he's a white guy who painted himself black somehow and uh, went into the deep South for six weeks and, and lived as a black man in the deep South and came away having experienced what it's like to be black in the South in the fifties in the segregated fifties. Now we can't do that necessarily, but, but to just begin to step outside of our box and immerse ourselves in the realities of other people, I think helps us become more empathic, read books, uh, watch movies that have as a central character, somebody not like you. So I read uh, a book recently called plain truth by, uh, Laurie Picoult or Jody Picoult. And she, uh, it's about a uh, an Amish girl, like a 16-year-old Amish girl who got pregnant out of wedlock. I'm not Amish. I'm not a girl. I've never been pregnant out of wedlock. So it, it forced me to see life through her eyes. 
um, uh, I watched a movie Philadelphia years ago, um, which, you know, the central character is Tom Hanks, who plays a, a homosexual who has AIDS. And uh, Denzel Washington is the lawyer representing him in a, in a lawsuit. And uh, really through Denzel Washington's eyes, you begin to empathize with, with uh, what it's like to be gay uh, in a culture, uh, especially in Tom Hanks' culture in the workplace that was uh, really hard on homosexuals. Now, this is not to say that I endorse homosexuality or anything like that, but at least it gives me a, an empathic lens through which to view someone not like me. Mm-hmm. And it helps our preaching. You, and you, in fact, you spent a whole chapter on giving people practices and different different techniques to to grow in empathy that I think is is really helpful. And there's ones that are more applicable than others, depending on where you are. And some might take a bit of practice before you get to being able to, to practice it really well. But just about anybody can start to watch a movie, right? To watch a movie from another person's point of view, from the, to try and immerse themselves um, in the character. They can They can pick up stories of others that they are not like. And at the same time, we're often hesitant to do so because really to do that is such a threatening experience. Anytime, anytime we try to be empathic and see through another's eyes, feel what another's feeling, see the thought process that another person has gone through to arrive at the conclusions they've gone through might require change. Yeah. And in fact, whenever you're talking about uh, neurology, it, you know, true, true empathy is going to change us. It is going to rewire our brains, which can be a very threatening thing to do. Um, maybe when I put on my theological hat, I start to think about the, the threat of repentance. And sometimes people are hesitant to repent um, because uh, it's a very threatening thing to do, to, to rework the world around us. And if we're really empathic and we put ourselves into the, the world of another person and we see how it's compelling or how it's, uh, how it's um, existentially difficult, then we might have to do some reworking of the world around us. Really, can be a really threatening thing. Yeah can be a very dangerous thing. And so you start to see why people aren't empathic, even, even if they'd like to be, yeah. why, they, why they aren't, because yeah. it's, it's threatening, it's dangerous. Well, I, I, all of us fear vulnerability. Yeah. And yet vulnerability is a prerequisite for empathy, period. Mm. And there's no way around that. Mm. And, you know, Jesus was filled with empathy. We call it compassion. The Greek word is blagnizomai. I mean, uh, Jesus was moved with compassion for people. He was able to put himself in the situational shoes of another person so that he felt what they felt, he thought what they thought, and was moved to act. It wasn't just a warm fuzzy that yeah. sort of sat with him, you know, emotional thing. It was an emotion that led to an action. He, he felt compassion, fed the hungry, felt compassion, touched the leper. And it is a, it's a risk. And, and, and yet, in, in, in the politically hostile climate in which we live, where we have a lot of loud talkers, we need more empathic listeners. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, as the church is being marginalized, you know, the church is no longer central. The gospel is no longer privileged. Preaching is denigrated. I think the only way really, the best way to get a hearing in today's world is to, is to, as for people to get a sense when you preach that not only do you get God, but you get them. Even if you don't endorse them, even if you don't agree with them, you represented them. You know them. The words of your sermon ring true about the reality they know their hopes, their hurts. So if they sense that you get them while you preach, they're more likely to get God when you get to the good news of the sermon. Mm. That's which is key. So let me kind of flip this around. We've been talking about how pastors can grow in empathy and some of the threat that approaches anybody that wants to grow in empathy. 
we've got church leaders that are listening in who aren't responsible to preach, but they are they are listening in and they're like, what you're saying is communicating with me, and so they're feeling convicted. And at the same time, maybe they maybe appropriately they are thinking. I would really like to help my pastor grow in empathy. I'd like to, I'd like to help their sermons grow in empathy. How can parishioners or how can a congregation help their pastors grow in empathy? Yeah. Let me, let me answer a, a question for people who are on staff and then get to the, the, the yeah. congregational help uh, if I can. Um, you know, one of the, one of the issues I think at stake, and I know uh, pastors, especially in multi-staff contexts are going to, maybe uh, take issue with this. But one of the, one of the problems I think is a, is the specialization of the pastor. So we have one pastor who locks himself or herself away and preaches, puts together a talk in an office. Then we have the care pastor who goes out and cares for people. Then we have the youth pastor, the executive pastor. And because we've especially separated the preaching and teaching role from the caring shepherding role, um, it, it has diminished empathy. Mm. Maybe the talks are better rhetorically. Uh, maybe they're better exegetically. Uh, they're more eloquent, but, uh, but there's an, there's an empathic disconnection. Um, the best preachers are the best listeners. They sit and they listen long and hard to the hopes of their people. And then they're able to stand up and articulate with words through the sermon, those hopes and hurts. Um, and because we've sort of kept the preaching pastor away from the people. It, it has diminished the empathic connection people feel with the preacher. So uh, one of the things we can do is, is get past this uh, overt specialization of the pastoral role where each pastor focuses on one slice of the pie. Um, and I know that sounds unrealistic to some people. You can't visit with everybody, I get that, but find a way to keep your ear to the ground, not just with your leaders, like the, the people on your board or your staff, but a wide, swath cross-section of people in your congregation and i do think uh that the congregation does teach us how to preach i mean it's you know it's living among the people um uh, you know the congregation is ultimately the greatest classroom it's not the classroom <laughs> well um, i'm think i'm thinking about how of one teen that i remember falling asleep in a sermon i preached and they did me such a service because that was actually reflecting to me reality. Now, now maybe I could talk to them about empathy or like, how do you identify with the person on the stage, right? Yeah. You know, and, and in the moment, like I'm selfish, I want to do it. But they gave me such an example because they showed me what reality was that, that whatever I was communicating was not done from a position that had factored in what her life was like. And, yeah. and that was such a gift to me. And one of the things that, this is real practical, but one of the things that you've done for me whenever I've been giving some kind of sermon or devotional is I often see you paying attention and nodding and really listening. And there's nothing that helps a preacher more than to know that person is at least trying, right? They're trying to get what it is I'm trying to say. And that, that lifts the, that lifts the spirits. And, and so I, if there's congregants listening, uh, you can do, you can really help by paying attention, yeah. right? By doing your best to to identify with the preacher there. What, what does it mean to carry the word of God and to have this congregation listening? And if you're listening, they're going to give it a better shot, yeah. right? They're going to work even harder, even in that preaching moment. Yeah. To, and of to course, the black church is the best at like lifting up yeah. the preacher and keeping them going by being re responsive and interactive. But let me just say, you know, we talk a lot about good eye contact and preaching. And, and most of us have thought that, you know, the reason why you have good eye contact when you're preaching, you know, you go with no notes or limited notes, or even if you manuscript preach, try to maintain 
immediacy with your eyes. And it's not, we've been taught that it's because of, you know, it's more rhetorically pleasing. It's more eloquent to have eye contact, but that's not, that's not really ultimately why when it comes to empathy, uh, because of what I said earlier about mirror neurons. So there's mirror neurons in the brain that when you look at people, uh, give you a capacity to think what they're thinking and feel what they're feeling. So when you are in the moment with your people preaching and you're looking out at them, they are preaching a sermon back to you with their eyes and body. Mm. And mm-hmm. you are with, if you're in the moment, you are without even realizing it, uh, neurologically, empathically adjusting what you're see- saying and how you're saying it based upon the message they're preaching back to you with their eyes. So, um, so it's one of the reasons why I encourage preachers to spend at least 25% of their overall sermon preparation time uh, on delivery matters, mm. internalizing the sermon, uh, you know, memorizing parts of it, perhaps, um, so that when they're in the moment, they can they can receive that message back. Uh, I hope that that one of one of the reasons I like doing the, the podcast is that I get to look at a variety of topics, talk to a variety of people and try to stay empathic with where ministry leaders and pastors and Christians are and what resources they want and what resources they need. And that's one of the things that you also talk about is, is garnering that attention, garnering what interests are there in your church so that you're, you're addressing things that they consider are important. Uh, and there's, there's a balancing act to that, right? There's a balancing act to, um, uh, being, a, being above and ahead so that you know how to shape and form your people, balancing that with, getting from them what they consider relevant and what they consider important and, and trying to wed those together so that the, the trajectory that you have in mind, right, the, the direction that you have in mind for them to be formed in Christ likeness isn't starting somewhere ahead of where they are or left of where they are or right of where they are, but is starting where they are with what they consider important and trying to trying to draw draw them along. I think that's a, a really helpful tool. And you give a survey in the book as well to, to kind of start that, that juice uh, flowing. But I found that a really helpful uh, way to get started. And so as we're talking to parishioners, one of the things I might say is keep your pastor informed, right? Let them know what it is you're reading. Let them know what it is you're, what questions you're asking. Uh, whenever I was right at a seminary, I was doing a small group with young adults. And so I wanted to get in and ask, get in and ask questions of the text and, mm-hmm. and do theological exegesis and, and do all kinds of, you know, re- use uh, rhetorical tools on the text. And it took me about one week to realize that was not the questions they were asking. No, I mean, you know, only seminarians care about what happened to the Jebusites, right? And, and you know, what's, what's the etymology of the Greek word phileo? And yet what lay people are asking on Sunday morning is, you know, help me to love my neighbor on Monday who lets his dog leave feces all over my lawn. Like, how can I love that person? Tell me how to do that. So, yeah. Uh, and there is, a, there is a fine line between contextualization know, contextualizing the gospel to our particular people and compromising the gospel. Mm. So we, you know, our, you know, we have, we have to be faithful, theologically faithful, biblically faithful, as well as fitting to Mm. the congregation, faithful and fitting to use, uh, uh, Leonora Tubbs Tisdale's phrase, faithful to God, fitting for the context. And that's what, that's the bridge for the sermon. And I love how you've unpacked for us that that empathy is the gift of God that lets us do that. Right? Empathy is the gift of God that, that lets us be formed by our people so that we can understand. And that we pray, God willing, that they understand us as we pursue a God 
who has come to us in Christ to experience what human life is like, right? This ultimate act of, of, empath, of empathy to, to take on flesh in Jesus Christ, to understand human living from within a human body. And uh, I appreciate the gift you've given to, to interested readers and to the church with the book that you've done, Lenny. It's a, uh, the research you've done is, is helpful and is uh, easily, easily read and is engaging and, and um, informative and practical, right? It's a, great, it's a great combination of all those things. So thank you for sharing that, that resource with us. Thank you, Aaron. And I hope that uh, this podcast has interested you listeners and, and reminded you about the importance of empathy, maybe, maybe not just from you as a preacher to your congregation, or maybe not just as you as a part of a congregation to your preacher, but maybe you as a parent to your child or as a neighbor to a neighbor or as, a, as an adult son or daughter to a, a mother or father, right? The, the, trying to live out the, the, the dangerous world and the, the threatening world of vulnerability so that we can, uh, or the threatening world of empathy so that we can be courageous and vulnerable to understand what other people are going through. And as our world becomes more, you know, our, ch our churches are trying to become more multi-ethnic and uh, speak into the lives of a wider diversity of people. It's not going to happen without this capacity for empathy. Joining us today has been Dr. Lenny Lucetti. Lenny is professor of proclamation and at Wesley Seminary, and he is the uh, most recently the author of Preaching with Empathy, Crafting Sermons in a Callous Culture, published by Abingdon, part of a, a really nice uh, preaching series as well. So congratulations on that, and I encourage listeners to check it out. Uh, preaching with Empathy, published by Abingdon Press, by Lenny Lucetti. Lenny, thanks so much for joining us today. Great to be here. Thanks, Aaron. And thank you, listeners, for joining in. Uh, we are always interested to hear some of your thoughts, so let us know uh, what podcasts you are listening to and what episodes you found helpful and who you might like to hear from here on the Wesley Seminary Podcast. So check out some of our library of resources and uh, have a great day. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the name Wesley Seminary.